Hello, and welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today I have with me Winter Jay. If you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience. I'm Winter Jay. I am art director for Artel Saurian Games, but I also have a side hustle that I also do art direction for Chaosium part-time. Uh, mostly I just work on RuneQuest, though I've had a little bit of dabbling with my game that's close to my heart, Pendragon. So, uh, so there is that. Yeah. Um, so tell me about how you got your start in the business. You're someone that's been working in tabletop for a really long time. And I have seen your name just in so many different books. And I'm like, who is this person? Looked online, didn't find very much. Um, so if you want to you talk about like, where, where'd you start? Started like most people, you know, as uh, a fly on the wall in a game shop, um, a comic and game store back in the 90s. And uh, down it was called Ancient Wonders. It's not around anymore, sadly. But they always considered me sort of an employee there because I would jump up and help customers after a while because I can't stand not to like be sitting on my hands. Like I, I can't I can't sit still. It's not happening. So uh, after that, I um, somehow got to know some folks that were working up at Wizards of the Coast. And I moved north from Portland, Oregon to the Seattle area and picked up a job there. Uh, I was doing mostly kind of business management stuff for a very long time there. Well, a few years there and um, ended up getting laid off and rehired there a few times. And, you know, the classic holiday layoffs that everybody loves so much. And it just kind of went on from there. I never really took my finger out of comics and games. I just, I love it. And so I continued to keep abreast of what everyone was up to. At one point, I got to know Mr. Mike Pondsmith, of course, and he, I had no idea he was like the super famous guy. He was this friend of mine. And then I went to a convention with him and it was like, well, hey, let's let's look at this. This is interesting. But at one day he came to me and he said, you're miserable at your your tech job. What would you like to do? What's your dream job? And I said, I, you know, I kind of like to be an art director someday. I love art. I do art and I love artists. He goes, done. And from that point on, I've been ensconced into the into the brethren, if it were. <laughs> How long have you been doing that for? Oh, art direction. Mm -hmm. It's been at least five years. Four or five years, I think. I have this, I have a brain that is cut in half by pre and post COVID now. That's like, I guess COVID is just, just happening and it's still going on, but it really was three years ago. Wow. Okay. I see yeah. um, some of the work that you did um, was right before the onset of the the pandemic. Um, did you still, does our Talsorian games have uh, like an office that you used to go to and things like that? And then you move fully remote or how did that work for you? Um, no, actually. Well, they had an office. They do have an office. They had an office. They changed offices at some point and they've got a new office now, but um, yes, there is an office where people who live in that area do get together. I was never one of those because I was always working full time somewhere else until mm -hmm. about a year ago. So I, I had a job in tech. I was a senior UX designer, um, and that's a lot of fun, but um, it wasn't my heart's calling. So I rearranged my entire life so that I would have a much lower uh, fiscal responsibility so I could do this more full time. And that's also why I have two jobs. That's it's such a common story in in tabletop is that people definitely need a job to pay the bills while they're pursuing their passion. And then eventually maybe they they take the pay cut and then they go into tabletop in order to uh, pursue something they love for much less money because there's genuinely not as much money in tabletop as many people have you know expressed on this podcast before. Uh, have true. you yeah, have you seen um Talking about your UX design experience, uh, how long did you do yeah. that for? Was that over 10 years or like five to 10 years or something like that? Over, it was over 10 years, at least okay. 15 years that I did that. Okay. And I was a UX designer before we knew what those were. So we just say uh, digital graphic design is what we okay. would say. But then all of a sudden I I, I, uh, I applied for a job and I was trying to explain to them what I do. And and she goes, no, you, you're you a UX designer. You, you're a user experience. I was like, that's a thing. Yeah, so that the, was news to me. I feel very old talking about this. Like, <laughs> well, I, I'm not trying to. Uh, I'm not trying to do that to you. Um, but no, you're not doing it. It's all me. It's all me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's super cool. What's the um? 
what are some of the things then are you allowed to talk about like what what uh, some of the companies or like the products that you've worked on as far as like ux Oh, yes. I worked uh, with uh, Microsoft for a long time, and I, <laughs> I, I did work with Microsoft, and I did work with T-Mobile. At Microsoft, I worked on HoloLens, and I worked on, before that, I was working on games for the Microsoft Games division, and I did some work with Xbox. So there was all kinds of different different things going on. At the time, it was easy because because HoloLens was in the gaming division for a while. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know what the use was going to be. And this was back when it was being developed. So um, so I got to work on HoloLens and I got to run apps for HoloLens. Then I got to just wander the halls and go, hey, I have nothing to do on Friday for three hours. Does anybody need anything? And so there's a ton of games that I got to do some UX design work for and websites that I got to do uh, UX design for. Yeah, it was that, an interesting experience. That makes sense that of all the things that you could do in UX, you did the most cyberpunky thing. <laughs> that's like digital displays like over 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. that's shoe in. You were a shoe in for this. Okay, that makes sense. Dang. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, for for you uh, moving from one industry to another, what would you say like are the major parallels and differences between like working for uh, a tech company and then working for tabletop, like as far as like your personal experience as a person, we don't necessarily have to say anything that would catch somebody a charge, but. Well, I can speak about my, my life working for, for corporations as just one big lump and then nobody's getting called out. Right. Um, in, in the large corporations, I was not heard. I was always in tech. I was always on an engineering in an engineering org because that's where my skill set is. I speak engineer and I, I have a, a pretty good understanding of programming and, and those kinds of things and how it affects UX, but I was never really heard. Um, I spent a lot of time taking on more responsibility, but never getting the title or the cash. And being a woman in tech is difficult. 10 years ago, it was even more difficult. And I'm not saying that women now don't have a challenge because dear goodness, y'all do. And um uh, I, you know, I wish the best for you so that you can get what you deserve. But I spent a lot of time whispering in men's ears and convincing them that my idea was their idea so the idea could get done. I don't have that now. Um, both the companies that I work for now are very, I don't even want to say progressive and women forward. It's it's equity. That's what I want to say. It's equity. If I have an idea, a creative director, the creative director, say, from, from that works on RuneQuest, which is the game I work on for Chaosium, he will be like, oh, oh, that's interesting. And he'll tell me the little things in the idea that are wrong because of the history of the game and the and the flavor of the game, right? But we'll still adopt that idea into the piece of artwork or sometimes even into the text. So I feel more heard. And and being at our Talsorian games is Lisa Pondsmith is there. There's already sort of a history of women are running this company there. She she kicks ass over there. And she she definitely you know, legal contracts and battle fighting and all of the things that need to get done behind the scenes. She's the one. She's the backstage, the whole backstage yeah. team. So is she a, a I, I'm not familiar with uh, you said Lisa. Yeah, uh, she's it, also on the cover of the Witcher, the original Witcher tabletop book. It says Pondsmith and Pondsmith. Everyone assumes that's Mike and his son. It's not. It's Lisa. And her oh, son. And okay, that book okay. together. Wow, so Cody cool. was the, the lead developer on that. And Lisa was the co-lead developer on that. Yeah. How many, um, and not to speak about like, yeah, obviously in the company you're in, there's a fair amount of representation perhaps. Um, but you would say that when you started, you were, we were talking about off air, like in the nineties, right? There was almost no representation uh, from, from women in tabletop, right? Um, yes. Nowadays, is it like 30 or 40% in most environments that you work in? I'm honestly, it's hard to say only because I'm not at any of these companies physically. Right. So okay. I can't really look at the whole staff. I mean, you can't look at the whole staff of Chaosium, but I did get to go to a summit last year that was just before Chaosium Con. Um, it's just like a seven day just for the employees. And there were quite a few women there. They're still still uh, in terms of in general, women in leadership roles is still from my personal experience. This is armchair experience, so I could be wrong. But um, there still seems to be very few women and people of color in those positions from my experience. And also 
very few uh, trans folks, though I do find a higher concentration of trans people in um, in games in general. Like it's just yeah. like people seem to flock to this. And yeah. it's uh, it seems to be, from my experience, not being a trans person, it seems to be more accepted. I'm sure that you and other folks probably probably may have had different experiences than I have. But I try to be very, you know, I, I try to I try to look out for everybody, I guess is what I'm saying there. But yeah, um, I think for me and my experience, it's been that role playing games for me was a way to explore my identity, even when I was very little and before I understood what I was doing. Yeah. And that was like a formative uh, safe space for me to explore being a woman before I knew what that was, before anybody knew it. Like, there was no, I was like raised in a household that uh, was very anti-gay. So um, I was never exposed to any sort of thing like that. And um, I never even known that trans people were a thing until like, I don't know, like, honestly, like Caitlyn Jenner. So. It was, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a roller coaster. And what the thing for me, like when I was like about to transition out of the military, um, was I started to get more involved in tabletop because I was like really interested in it and I wanted to pursue it as like a hobby and a part-time gig maybe. And I started having more relationships built with queers and, um, I started talking more with trans people. And the more I talked to trans people, I was like, yeah, that makes sense that I can totally understand how you would feel that way. And, you know, um, you know, I totally I feel that way, too. And then after a while, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> like, wait a second, you're telling me that I feel the same way as a trans person, uh, you know, in their worldview and everything. Um, also, uh, the audience can't see because we don't record video, but uh, my Alfonso Mucha tapestry that I have hanging up. Would you believe that I bought that when I thought that I wasn't trans? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's how that's how deep the layers go. Okay, oh, right. like, I'm, I'm deep down in there. Yeah, I was, I <laughs> well, was deep I'm in the really closet. I'm really glad that you found your way because that is not an easy thing to do when you have nothing around you to kind of understand what it is. And I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot to be said for people who have had to pioneer that on their own. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've thankfully had a lot of uh, support from some really wonderful uh, people in my life uh, during my formative period when I just first came out and I had made that decision to. And I, you know, I, I just wouldn't have developed my career to even to this point, um, you know, being a full-time person, you know, employed running games and uh, running the projects that I am without the support of these people who were very accepting of who I am. Um, so uh, I'm very thankful for that, especially the uh, the women that I sought to connect with after uh, I kind of came out and I was very interested in making those uh, connections and friendships with more women uh, because I was very interested in learning more about the, uh, the femme experience. So... That's fantastic. Good yeah, for you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad things things are progressing. Sometimes they digress, but yeah, we try to keep them going forward as much as we can. I want to talk about like your schedule um, as an art director, if that's okay. Um, what do you? What's like a normal like work day and like work week normally for you? Right now, it's interesting because we are getting up pretty early in the morning to have meetings with people that we do licensing from who are in another country. So to be respectful of their time. Um, and so that's happening. And uh, then oftentimes I'll have a morning meeting with uh, either our Talsorian or Chaosium folks just to kind of touch base or talk about what's been going on. And then I spend the day on the internet on email, either looking for new artists or writing art scripts or progressing a piece of art that's already been assigned to somebody or just I answer a lot of email all day. It's really good. I type fast. Otherwise, I would be screwed. Yeah. I Is it OK if I plug a couple of my artist friends to you? <laughs> so I'm just, just shaped. Shamelessly plug. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna DM you these these art stations to you real quick. Um, Good. But I've worked with both of these artists that I'm sending you right now, and they are fantastic. Uh, we are very excited to be working with both of them. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yorsi and Matt. Um, but um, yeah. So I am 
kind of interested in like what it is that you do like when you're I've worked with an art director before and after working with uh, someone who was doing a little bit of art direction I was like yeah I what I was doing previous to what the art director was doing was just like trying to get by it wasn't doing a good job it was just like you know I'm just kind of here and like I kind of know what to do but like it's a whole thing so uh, when you take um, and I want to go, if it's okay with you, step by step on like on a piece from conception to like. I'd love to, before we move on with that, I'd love to address what you just said. I think it's really key and important in the gaming industry, especially tabletop. We're all basically in a lot of us are in like garage businesses, you know, it's a passion. And so we've come up with an idea and now we're making a game and a few people like it. So we have enough money to make it, you know, to continue. And then the job of art direction just kind of falls on whoever wasn't fast enough to say no. <laughs> and it's it's sort of a place that is like dark and scary for a lot of people because they're, you know, I even get told often, you're the only one here who can speak artist. You know, like, wow, I, thought, I just thought there were people, but okay, cool. That's great. That's a skill I didn't know I had. Um, but I think it's important that we talk about that because it is a whole job on top of the job that you're doing now. And it takes a lot of time. And most of your money for a book is going to be spent on mm -hmm. it, the, the writing is very important. The writing is probably not going to cost you as much as the art. If you're doing like a 20% art line, which is common in a book, it's not going to cost you as much. So the fact that 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 very expensive outlay of cash and time and effort is kind of just sort of thrown on somebody who goes, oh, damn it, I didn't say not it fast enough. I think I think uh, if you are struggling to do that job, there's a reason. Don't feel bad about yourself. It's not an easy job to do. Yeah, actually, uh, funny that you say that because uh, in that way, I actually uh, am uh, acquaintances, like friends with uh, Lou Anders, um, who was an art director for a really long time uh, for various magazines and stuff. And that's how he got the job is because nobody wanted to do it. And he was just there. And then he eventually became like this award winning art director. Yeah, that's that's how how it goes. But luckily, he had some experience in his past life, right? So, uh, so he could actually tackle that with with a little bit of foreknowledge. But the usually the person is standing there, ah, where do I even look for artists? You know, and yeah. and then it's really hard to be consistent. And the number one thing you need as an art director, yeah, you need an eye. But you have to be organized and people don't don't associate people who are organized with art. They associate, oh, flaky artists, you know, like that's like a whole thing. Right. But to be so meticulously organized and um, knowing the material really helps. But if you don't know the material, know somebody who knows the material and have opportunity to speak with them. So uh, I've got lists upon lists, checklists coming out my nose. I mean, you can probably see them now. Um, just to keep, just to keep us organized, like just so that I know what I'm doing during the day. Anyway, yeah. I wanted to just address that because I think it's important if you're talking about sort of the gig economy, you know, and someone's getting stuck as art director. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, well, that's, it's funny. Yeah. Because, uh, Lou was telling me that thankfully he had some friends who were art directors that he really heavily leaned on until, so he did like Good. on the job training with like his friends essentially that he'd made in like the industry in order yeah. to like be able to do the job well enough to be able to do it on his own at, at one point um eventually he got to the point where he was doing jobs without any help and then eventually they just made him the art director <laughs> um because of that so yeah that's how that was his progression with it but um yeah for um for conception to actual like uh print we start with the writing perhaps um, in most yeah. projects, I would believe. Um, and then we go from there. What does that look like from you receiving from, I believe, the narrative designer would normally do that, or maybe the whoever the producer is for a book? What does that look like for you? It isn't always that we have a finished, beautiful manuscript that we're working from. Sometimes they're just ideas. But the problem being that writing tends to take a little less time than does the artwork. So each individual piece of artwork, if it isn't a cover, covers are special, special children. Each individual piece of artwork uh, in general takes about 14 days to complete for the artist, right? And that's, you know, back and forth in the email and getting approvals and all of that kind of stuff. And it can take longer if there's extra approval layers or whatever. 
sometimes I go in and I write all the art scripts. I mean, oftentimes I'm writing all the art scripts and then getting those approved by whomever is directing that project, um, whoever is the sort of project lead on that on that book, right? Or even I'll get have to get an approval on the art script from the creative director of that line, as well as the person who's working on the line. And then uh, I search for an artist who has the skill set that I'm looking for. So for instance, most artists are not going to be working on both Witcher and Cyberpunk or Chaosium's uh, RuneQuest and Cyberpunk, right? Those are three different, entirely different skill sets. So I'll go looking for an artist. Uh, I make an initial contact with them. We, I ask them if they're available, if, uh, if they want to do some work on it. Oftentimes they say yes. Then um, there is an NDA to be signed. And then after all of that, getting their information, getting the NDA signed, then I can actually send them the art script and discuss with them pay and all of that kind of stuff. Then I write a contract. Not all art directors write contracts. Some art directors are intimidated by having to write legal text. I get that. Completely get it. I, for some stupid reason, decided I would like jump in and do that. So then um, once that's done, uh, they give me a rough sketch of what they described. And I oftentimes I will just look at that rough sketch myself and get some changes to it. Or I will send it to the uh, the lead and we'll discuss changes over that piece of art, uh, over that rough sketch. The second sketch I get, and that, that first sketch should be just blocking. We should just be seeing, you know, how it's blocked out. Very rough, no color. The second one should have some more detail in it so we can see maybe clothing and what the building shapes are like. We can make sure that it is still... Uh, working with the project. The third piece, that should be a color rough. I want to see a color rough to make sure the colors are working, and that's going to be mostly fleshed out. By now, we're not really doing as much, you know, changing to the to the artwork as we are just making sure that the color's working and, and things are, um, you know, that kind of gut even exists in cyberpunk or, you know, whatever it is, right? And then the final is just a knee-jerk, hey, does this look good to you lead on the project? And they almost always say yes. Uh, at that point so and then we pay them and both Artalsorian games and Chaosium are excellent at paying artists um Artalsorian uh is uh, the person who does the paying is um lightning fast I mean within days usually if, if if they have taken longer than you know three days to make that payment it means something went wrong with the payment uh because you're dealing with PayPal and applications and banks yeah. and stuff and sometimes crossing country lines. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's that's great to hear. Um, there was some discussion, and I understand if you veto this question. Um, there was some discussion about artist rates pretty recently. Were you up on the the Twitter sphere uh, hearing the the bubble about that? Just not. I don't actually do a lot of Twitter. Uh, it okay. kind of drives me crazy. Uh, but um, understandable. I know some social some, some social media drive people crazy. That one's that yeah. one's mine. Um, however, I would be willing to go look that up because I'd like to see what people are talking about and what they're saying. Yeah, I um, I got involved in a conversation uh, in regards to some rates that a different publisher uh, was putting out for some of the work that they were commissioning um, as far back as like 2018, 2019, and some yeah. of the other rates and like what artists were uh, publicly expressing that they were paid by this publisher. And they were, of course, not not satisfied. Um, and that is not um, an indictment of anyone's behavior from right. your publisher. But I wonder if um, your company has made any pay raises in the last while. Um, I will say for the record, your publisher was not mentioned. Um, so, uh, but uh, I, I am curious if that is something that you all have been taking, uh, keeping a good eye on for pay rates. And I know that tabletop margins are so razor thin. And uh, yeah. I know that intimately myself, but... Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a topic of discussion because um, some of these artists who are creating like um, don't don't say out loud which one this is, but like this artist right here was talking on uh, on Twitter about uh, what they were paid, and it's like yeah, that's like I put like a month into that, and it's like not even gonna pay for one month's rent. So uh, yeah, what it what's generally your stance and like what has your publisher? Do you have it like? Are you aware of that and like how are your rates gliding up? I know MCDM is like um, 
sort of out there as like the recent standard for writers, at least 25 cents a word and every, and they're very open about that. Um, I'm not yeah. sure what their artist rates are. Um, so I, I wouldn't be able to speak to that, but. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, our rates have increased as over the five years that I've been there. And generally our Talsorian games is who I'm talking about now. Generally uh, they trust my judgment because I don't want to break the bank, right? I don't want us to be like, oh boy, we're never going to make any money on this because we spent $10,000 for every piece of artwork, you know. But I I try to stay, the best thing that I can do is say right up front what the process is and what is the piece of artwork mm -hmm. worth. What am I paying? Right up, That goes right in the, I send an art script, which is a description of what the art is. And at the bottom of that art script is always sort of like the more technical stuff, like what size, what DPI, the ratio, you know, that kind of how many days I need it by, blah, blah, blah. Um, and right at the bottom, the very last line, so they can find it easy, is, and we are offering X dollars for this piece of work. When I send that, I always tell them, if you need anything in this changed, just let me know. And, and I'm generally talking about the price. And I've recently had some negotiations with a, an artist who could not do the piece for the price I was asking. Their their price for it, they can they could claim they can get paid so much more working in AAA title games than they can by doing tabletop. And so that relationship didn't work out. But a lot of times, if the artist knows up front, well, this is kind of what we can pay because we're we're a little company and our margins are razor thin, like you said. You know, sometimes they will meet me part way on those prices. But my number one concern is artists get paid. They get paid for their time. If I go in and I and I make some really like I get the rough sketch and then I get the color sketch and we're almost done with the piece and then all of a sudden, I'm sorry, we have to change a bunch of stuff. The first thing I say to them is I'm going to offer you more money, but we we have to change this because of whatever, whatever reason. Um, and that is not a decision I make lightly. And when an artist tells me I can, oh man, that's just below my pay rate. I'm like, I am really happy for you that you can, you can command that much money. That's excellent. I can't pay that much. So I right. try to be as understanding as possible. And Artel Sorin really trusts me to sort of understand what, have my finger on the pulse of pricing out in the world. I was, um, so I'm doing, and I just went over the budget with my Kickstarter manager. Um, you may know her actually, if you've done a Kickstarter recently or been involved in it, but uh, Anya Combs used to be the director of games at Kickstarter. But yeah, she's my Kickstarter campaign manager. So she doesn't work at Kickstarter familiar. anymore. But I don't know if I, I know her personally. Um, but yeah, I was going through like, and we're looking at doing like royalties and stuff for our writers and our artists and our other contributors. Um, is that something that our Telsorian Games has been looking at? And what do you think about a royalties pay structure, if at all, that would be possible? People who are individual contributors, we don't, that probably won't be entertained by our Telsorian Games. Um, if, I mean, there are really special circumstances for that to happen because the margins are so thin right? Mm -hmm. We would prefer also that if you're working for money to put, put food on your table, that you get that money, you get it in your hand. And if you've got royalties, you're waiting a year or right. two years or however long before you can even get a hold of that money. So there is that. So yeah, that's not a thing. And I have no idea exactly how Chaosium does that. So I can't speak to that for them. Yeah, I was um, curious about sort of new pay structures moving forward for me because I have a I have a different business model than our Telsorian for a number of reasons. But um for us going to like crowdfunding and stuff, I think we have a unique opportunity in in some ways to to provide royalties, at least on the pledges. Um I'm not sure about mm -hmm. we'll have to I'll have to figure out like the sales um aspect once we get past the Kickstarter and then figure out that path. Um and then also I was interested in um I've heard in the past that some people, either writers or um not necessarily within tabletop, but writers or artists sometimes get paid in advance of a certain amount. And then once enough units had been sold over a certain threshold, then they start to get royalties it, once it's like, if it's, if it becomes a bestseller essentially. So you're providing, mm -hmm. yeah, you're providing that like security to them with like a big paycheck up front. Um, like I'll, our tell Saurian games does right now. And then you're also saying, Hey, in the future, this may be like an additional one to $300 a month or whatever for you, which can be really helpful uh, for like long-term artists. Yeah. Very so that much, is, yeah. Wizards had wizards really treated their artists great 
because they didn't know what kind of a hit they had on their hands and they couldn't afford art. So they they had royalties. And those artists, the, the early artists at Wizards made a lot of money. Some of them had that pay structure that you're talking about where it's here's a, a, a lump sum, a small lump sum up front to kind of get you going. And then once royalties start coming in, then you'll be getting those paychecks. And I've seen people for 20 years getting a paycheck for 36 cents or for right, even even beyond past when their card is being released because it's somehow in the contracts, right? Yeah. And you know, they'll post online, I'm buying, you know, and t- picture of their their paycheck. It's always amusing. But um yeah, it there are a diff- there are lots of different pay structures out there. And um I think I think Artel Sorin is firmly in the we're gonna do freelance. We don't pay we don't pay the most in the industry, but we were up we're up towards the top. Okay. Of the pay structure for 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 freelance art. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, cool. And and you did say and for like for the record, you did say you are willing to negotiate with artists that you're talking with um, to a certain degree and like what makes sense for your budget. Um, yeah, so that's cool. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I think uh, for the most part, artists are starting to find that um, it is very difficult to not starting to find but have found um, yeah. over a long, you know, since art was a thing. Um, it's difficult to make a full-time living uh, being an artist, but passive income streams really interest me as far as like, this is my business podcast. So like we're talking passive income streams, you know, that's what everybody says. It's like, you need to increase your passive income. That's all the clickbait ads. Um, but yeah. it's true. Like if I was able to, for instance, if I was able to collect passive income streams on uh, the games that I run for start playing games, instead of showing up to run a game, I would do that instead. <laughs> like, like, and that's one of the things with Patreon, right? It's not as passive as it could be, but some people right. run it fairly passively, you know? Maybe yeah. they're just sending out a print of their artwork to their their folks that they've created for some other purpose, right? Or what or whatever it is they have in their tiers. But yes, passive income, yeah, I'm 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 in. I'm down. Let's let's get some passive income going. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I think um Honestly, the one thing, if anybody who's an artist is listening to this, like you need to start a Patreon because there's going to be at least a few people out there, even if you have, like you should provide some kind of rewards, like maybe even if it's just early access, which is what I provide on my Patreon, if you'd like to support this podcast, um, then you can, uh, (laughs) then you can uh, at least provide something to the people that want to support you because there's always going to be somebody out there that wants to give you their money. and just to, you know, to help you out because they enjoy your work. So I think putting yourself out there on Patreon is pretty important for artists and not enough artists are on Patreon. There really should be. Um, I know there's, I've been working with and chatting with some of these artists on Patreon that are making content within tabletop, um, either maps or like just art or stat blocks and stuff like that. And that's really the future of like this sort of post um, controlled, tightly knit OGL world is that there's so much opportunity for everyone to make enough to support a living in the future because everything has become sort of democratized by these platforms that allow you to be directly supported by consumers. And if you have a Patreon, that shouldn't be your only income stream, right? That shouldn't be the only place where you're, you're you know, if you're doing that. I have a friend who runs, uh, uh, she, she runs in the fairy circuit, right? And so she has... She's got a Patreon and a and a YouTube and a you know Twitter and she's got every just every, and she's got a channel here as well. Um, mm-hmm. She's got everything going on and it all puts nickels and dimes into the piggy bank. And over time, that those nickels and dimes have added up to being you know quite a bit toward her being able to continue doing what she does. So I think it's important to diversify. Mm-hmm. It's not a portfolio exactly, but to diversify those income streams. Yeah, I um. And I, I was part of a, a mastermind community for Devin Nash, who's basically runs one of the uh, one of the agencies that deals with new media. So like uh, Twitch streamers and YouTubers and things like that. Um, he's represents a, a, a Manorath and um, Pokimane, for instance. Um, and uh, a lot of other people does brand deals. He's worked with like uh, everyone from like the army to like, I believe like Chevy or something. But um, that being said, the one thing that a lot of people, if you're like a young creator, they get uh, sort of overwhelmed with the amount of things that they feel like they yes. need to do. Um, yes. 
I do. And, I'm not a new creator, and I do. And um, the number one piece of advice, generally, that is given by these uh, the people like Devin Nash, uh, who are just dealing with these uh, super successful creators, is that you have to focus on one form of your hobby or your art until you plateau or you get to a certain threshold. And it's different for each type of platform. Like if you're an artist on Instagram, it's going to be different than if you're a YouTuber. It's going to be different if you're a Twitch streamer. It's going to be different if you are on Patreon. And once you cross a certain threshold, then you can expand and syndicate content when you can afford to, more or less. Yes. I love that. And that's that's really, really good advice. Also, you may already have some talent toward whatever art you're doing when you're starting out. You may already have an affinity for it. And that's that's probably true. But there really is no such thing as real talent. I don't believe in talent. Talent, that word just means you worked your ass off and you got good at something. And so, you know, if we're talking about somebody like Yo-Yo Ma, you know, the first time we ever saw Yo-Yo Ma, our jaws all hit the floor. We're like, wow, he is so good. But he didn't wake up that way. Right. So focusing on your on your one type of artwork like you're talking about and getting really good at that. Like, I want to be a cyberpunk artist. So I need to I need to make art that looks like cyberpunk. Right. And so I'm not going to be working on knights and castles and dragons. I'm going to be working on this other stuff. Do that other stuff for fun, right? To keep you inspired. But I think there's so much truth to what you're saying right now. That's that's really good advice. Thank you. I try it. My entire platform is built on giving good advice. So thank <laughs> I appreciate that. I've, I've passed the bar. We, we heard of the low bar here. I've given some good advice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was talking with uh, one of my artists, uh, Yorsi, about like how long they've been doing it. And uh, they were like, yeah, it's been like, I think, eight to 12 years or something like that. And it's like, eight to 12 years as a painter, that's a long time. And then I know Matt, for instance, is like, so he's an instructor at a at an art school and like, you know, teaches this every day. And then also, you know, has spent probably about 20 years doing it. And that's how you get that sort of um, skill level where I was having, I actually had Matt at one of our initial meetings and Matt was just like silent the entire time when we were just talking about the project initially. And he sketched a full like sketch of one of the characters and like presented it to us at the end of the meeting. And I was just like, Oh my God, like (laughs) this is, this is amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm in awe of artists. I really, I really enjoy working with artists. Um, and, uh, I think moving forward, one of the things that I am trying to sort of shore up and like tighten up, um, for my processes is like, uh, making sure that I am keeping within the budget so that people get paid on time better. That's one thing that I uh, didn't do so well. It's my first project. um, So um, I didn't do that as well, but I knew moving forward, like now that I know what this is like and like how things normally go, um, I can better, I can better plan and like project manage in that aspect. So yeah. hundred percent. You know what you, everything that I was, that we were talking about of like focus on your job for a while or whatever it is, like I want to be a cyberpunk artist or whatever. That goes for everything. I, as an art director, in 10 years, I'm going to be much better than I am now. Five years ago, when I was starting out, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm better than I was when I started, right? So, um, and and it's true for running a podcast. You didn't wake up one morning and have this amazing podcast. You probably had a good one. But over time, I bet you've really honed your skills. You seem like a very fluid kind of interviewer. So that didn't come from nowhere. That came from hard work and intuitiveness. Well, Winter Jay, if you'd like to hear the backstory of Friday and how Friday got good at interviewing, actually. Spill the tea, baby. So I actually, um, this is deep lore. Okay, so this is deep lore on Dollars and Dragons. So I was a military recruiter for a while where I used to interview kids all the time. Uh, so back when I was in the Marine Corps, wow. um, I was a I recruiter for a while. That. I'm like, I'm like, that is, no, too, all right, go on. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt, please. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm too big a queer now, so you can't, you can't clock me for, um, <laughs> you can't clock me as a Marine anymore. That's great. Um, but yeah, so I, I spent a while in the Marine Corps, but yeah, I did spend a while in the Marine Corps as a recruiter. And I was um, work obsessed, as I normally am. That's my personality, I think. Um, that yeah. which has to do with a lot of daddy issues, to be quite honest, and like feeling like my, my productivity is like my worth, which is not true. And I'm coming to like, like trauma. It sounds like trauma. 
Hundred percent, it is. I'm in therapy. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So I get you. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I uh, for a while I was like really obsessed about my job. I was the rookie recruiter of the year, and then I was the number one recruiter in like all of uh, so our region was like Oregon, a little part of Washington and Alaska. And then I was like the recruiter boss um, at a station, managing recruiters and making sure we made mission and everything after that. But yeah, I got really good at talking to people, not because uh, I necessarily was good at small talk, but because it was a skill to develop, and I developed that skill. And um, that's where I got nice. my my start initially, I think. And then um, other various leadership roles, of course, you have to talk to people often, and you have to communicate pretty often. I was an operations chief, and I did a lot of work as far as like communicating with other outside agencies, um, like at embassies and things like that. And um, it can be a lot when your job is just communicating. And that was just my job for a while is like making sure I call people and send emails so that uh, things got to mm -hmm. the places they needed to go. So that was my job for a while as well. So all of those skills kind of, I suppose, coalesce into now what we hear in this podcast, which is uh, my seemingly natural uh, state of being okay at interviewing people. But thank you for that. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. And you're right. Those, you know, I mean, I'm a super organized person, but I really love art. And so that's now culminated into what I do now. It's all come together for me. And it sounds like you're kind of experiencing the same thing. Although I bet you never thought, you know what, in 10 years, I'm going to be I didn't. I, games and <laughs> I really didn't. I, I think two years ago, or I, I guess it's almost three years ago now, when I was initially thinking about like kind of entering the space as I was exiting the military, I was initially drawn to like, hey, I like to watch D&D shows. I'll play in a D&D show. So I got onto a live play and then I learned to DM after that. And then I started running my own shows and then I ran some shows. And then mm -hmm. um, now I do some live play shows once in a while. But for the most part, I really found that I was more interested in deep conversations with people. And if I was to choose one aspect of my job right now, that I love the most. It's definitely this podcast. Um, I 100% love it the most. It makes me the least amount of money, though. <laughs> um, Good figure. So if you would like to support this podcast, you may subscribe to uh, patreon.com slash it's Friday uh, and give me five bucks a month. And then you can <laughs> join the super secret category in my discord where you can get professional GM advice uh, from my group of like-minded uh, game masters who can help you earn a living wage within tabletop uh, without being a game designer or a writer or an artist or an art director. Awesome. Well said. Well said. Thank you. No, it's very That's interesting about you. I, I loved hearing that. That was great. Um, I am like kind of a, I, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm an interesting person. I don't know. Other people say so. I'm just, <laughs> uh, is normalized to you, but it isn't yeah. normalized to someone who hasn't lived it. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, true for all yeah, of us. I think. <laughs> yeah. Wait, for you being an art director, now that we're talking about like, uh, different people, this is totally going to put you on the spot. I'm sorry. Um, right. but we could, okay. we could remove okay. it if this is uncomfortable. Um, how do you feel about, uh, diversity and what it does for art in a book and like how do you approach that as an art director finding artists from different backgrounds and how would you recommend that people who are new to that role to finding people of different backgrounds like what would you say about that i know what advice i would give but what would you say about that so it's really hard it's really hard to find artists of different backgrounds because you're looking at someone's online portfolio and you've gotten an email there, you know, there's not a lot uh, that you can tell from that. You can you can maybe try to like pinpoint the name, or maybe their their writing is such that you can tell that their English is a second language or something like that. But 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 I don't really have good advice on how to specifically pick out people of different backgrounds. Although what I do find is when I finally get to know people and we're past the formal stage, I think we have a pretty diverse group of folks. Um, we've got some like the hardest, the hardest artists to find for tabletop gaming art are female artists, artists that identify as female. They identify themselves as female. That is not something that is easy to find because in art portfolios, you don't see pronouns he, she, pronouns they, them. You see a name and oftentimes women have changed their name to sound more masculine. I did that for a long time so that I could get, because I couldn't get work 
um, in tech as being uh, having a feminine name. So um, and and my gender is is I'm pretty gender fluid. I'm kind of all over the place. I don't expect other people to always understand where I'm at mentally. So I will go by whatever gender they call me. A lot of times people say he and sir when they're addressing me in emails. I'm fine with that. Or she, and sometimes I get they. It, it's it's good for me. But that's one of the things, that's one of the places that's difficult is trying to figure out identifying female artists. But when I do find some and they are good, they keep getting work from me. That is a good way to encourage who are not like you to work on your product is when you find some and you give them repeat work, they're going to tell people who are like them, who are their friends, to come and I have this friend who's got this great portfolio just like you did earlier. And then I can go look at those portfolios and if they're, you know, if they have the right kind of style for whatever I'm working on, I'll hire them. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people, as far, especially when they're trying to diversify their team, it can feel really intimidating. And that's not yeah. necessarily a barrier that I've dealt with in a long time. I did deal with it initially when I was a new recruiter, like approaching, uh, you know, I was presenting as a man at the time. I was still in the closet, so I thought of myself as a man at the time. So approaching like women and like uh, people of color was difficult for me because I'm white. So um, I... Yeah had to do it a particular way, but I ended up like recruiting a very percentile wise more than in this is because I'm trans 100% because I knew how to talk to women. If this, you know, 100%, it was real. It was literally just and this is what I attributed it to. Like when I was like, people would ask me like the other marine recruiters would be like, Hey, dog, how, how'd you recruit so many women? And I'm like, I don't know, I just asked them questions and then listen to them. <laughs> that, was, that was it. <laughs> like, I asked some questions. I let them answer questions and then, you know, said, thank you for telling me that. And uh, here's what the yeah. Marine Corps is. And then that was it. <laughs> wasn't wasn't difficult. Uh, I think I think sometimes uh, people put barriers in front of themselves through like the yeah. anxious, the anxiety of it, um, because it's a new experience yeah. or it can be it can feel like a lot. But well, yeah, one of my secret weapons is I'm Romani. So my heritage is my people for centuries and generations and generations traveled all over. And rather than looking at picking up pieces of other people's culture, because that's what we did. We, as we travel somewhere, we would pick up a piece of their culture as a, almost a protective mechanism to sort of fit in enough to get through, to go to the next place. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like it makes me uniquely qualified to sort of uh, not be uncomfortable by that mm -hmm. kind of approach. And I only get uncomfortable if the person I'm talking to starts getting uncomfortable about it. And I'm like, oh gosh, if I said something or, you know, and then I'm I'm trying to be very careful and not, you know, not make it worse. But mostly I don't feel uncomfortable by those kinds of things. I just feel sad that I can't always locate, you know, like Afrofuturism in art. My gosh, it's a huge movement, but it's not always easy to find people who are doing that work who are also people of color or African American right. or of African descent. Right. Right. So so that's that's one of the things is I just get sad that I'm like, oh, I wish I could have some more because, you know, Mike Pondsmith is of African descent. So, yes, we're very open to having people of different different ethnicities working with us like we want that. Right. What do you think about uh, open calls? Is that normally like too much work for you to sort through? Oh, no. Oh, I've been there have been times when I've been like, I cannot find a cartographer. I, no matter what I do or how hard I try, I can't find one. And so then my the person who was uh, he's now the lead for his name is Jay Gray. He's now the lead for Cyberpunk. But at the time he was he was the ambassador for social media. And he was like, but I don't open call. Gosh, please. Yes, please do. And so when I do that, yeah, I get a lot of folks who are like, wow, they didn't read the ad. Like uh, right. they're doing, you know, cartoons and kids stuff. And it's great, but it's not for us. Right. And right. then you'll find a couple that actually fit. Right. Super cool. Um, yeah, that's uh, I, I just feel like if our Telsorian Games puts out an advertisement for an open call for artists, you're going to get like a thousand applications. <laughs> We did get a lot both the times that we ended up doing that. We got a lot. Uh, that that was overwhelming. <laughs> but we yeah. really, I really needed cartographers. We were getting close to our deadlines, and I still wasn't finding anybody who was consistent. Or you can be the best 
literally the best artist on the planet. If you are not consistent and you can't communicate and you can't meet deadlines, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I'd sometimes find these people that were just mind blowing, but they just couldn't. Right. Yeah, that's I. That's a similar theme that I've uh, found in many of the tabletop adjacent industries, like uh, yeah. anything to do with shows, anything to do with writing. Um, that's very true. And it's we're in the entertainment business. We're creating products. It has a deadline. Like you need to make the deadline. And yeah. if you don't make the deadline, you need to let somebody know. And then a producer is going to come help you out. <laughs> like, or I, I don't know how yeah. you do that in on your end, but if an artist like is late. Very- yeah, we tend to be very, I tend to be understanding 90% of the artwork that I assign can have a fluid deadline because I'm doing an entire book, right? right. And I'm not doing, I'm not doing all 300 pieces of artwork at once, clearly, right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing a section of them at a time. So the only time I ever say, okay, this is a hard deadline is when it's the last two or three pieces, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, these we're going to print on X day. And then everybody gets that speech. Every single person who's got a piece of artwork that's out that isn't in yet and all of that, they all get that speech of, hey, this is our hard deadline. And I've only had once or twice at all the artwork I've ever done where someone really flew the coop and I caught it within like a week of like, okay, well, they're not getting back to me and I've reassigned the artwork. I just let them know politely I have to reassign them. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when that happens. But, you know, our whole company is sitting on pins and needles and we're not making money if we're still creating this one book, right? Which means maybe some of our people may not get paid if we're not careful. So we've got to Got to make sure we've got income coming in to make to, to make sure everybody's getting paid. Absolutely, it's 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 super difficult to uh, do a lot of stuff if like the 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 timeline shifts too much uh, because yeah. then it puts everybody else behind. Um, if the art and the writing isn't done by a certain amount of time for the art director to make refinements and for the artist to go back and do the different drafts. Then you're putting that yeah. behind. Um, same reason that the writers, if you haven't done your redrafts from sensitivity consulting and also the uh, narrative designer, then you're not going to meet yeah. the deadline to reach uh, editing. And then editing after that goes to layout. And then that is where art and the writing comes together eventually during layout. For I have decided as an art director, I just made this decision. I don't second guess the artists what you tell me until I realize it's not true anymore if something like that ever comes up. And the other thing I want to say is that I am not your boss. I'm in a partnership with you. I want your brain. I don't want you to blindly do everything I tell you to do unless I have to because there's like some contractual thing with whomever we're licensing it from. And I say that. I say, I have to have you make sure this character looks exactly like this because I will say that. Most of the time what I want, I want your brain. I want you to think with me. If you look at the script and you go, oh, but I have such a better idea. Tell me, because you know what? You might be able to execute that. And then we've got a dream piece of art. Um, and I, I just think that needs to be stressed. It's important to me. It is. Um, I think that's giving people uh, grace when you're in a leadership position is pretty important um, yeah. because it's it can also when you're remote, it can be very difficult to tell whether or not someone is uh, going through a lot or uh, is oh, like yeah. having difficulty, and especially in the freelancing market. I have always felt like when I'm running the project um, and, I, and I'm sure it's true for your your contributors, like you're paying them a lot of money, but it's still not where they're making all of their money. So it's it can be you, you're in kind yeah. of a difficult position as a leader to like sort of absorb the stress of the impending deadline and then, you know, just try to not push that out to them because that creates a very toxic work environment. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I had an experience actually with one of the artists where I didn't hear from him. I, he was in the middle of a piece of art and then I didn't hear from him for weeks. And I kept, I was getting worried. It was during COVID. I was like, God, geez, did he die? I mean, that was happening during COVID. If you didn't hear mm-hmm. someone for a while, you had to wonder, right? Right. And at one point he got back to me. He's like, I'm so sorry. And he's all embarrassed. And he's just like sick to his stomach about the deadline and having missed it. And that I reassigned it to somebody else and not mad at me about it, of course, but just sick mm-hmm. that he let us down little brother died and he was only 30. Oh God. And so, you know, I can't, I can't really, I'm not mad about that. All was forgiven. 
please communicate with me. Let me know what's going on. Oh, yeah, that's that's a big deal. And I can understand why everything else just sort of dropped off your plate. Like you just kind of went nuts. I get it. I would, too. And so he still works for us and he's very consistent still, you know, but that one time he, you know, something came up. So that's a big thing as the art director and as the artist. You have to communicate. You just have to, even if it's hard, even if it's embarrassing, even if it makes you feel bad because you're letting someone down, you got to just let them down. You just got to tell them. If we're going to wrap with uh, just some light advice, I know you've you've given a lot of advice to artists on this podcast. Um, What's some things that you would say for someone who has, for instance, we're not talking beginning artists. I mean, a beginning artist, this might still be good advice for you, but we're talking about people who are trying to get up to that next level and they don't have a uh, credit within one of the large tabletop books and they're looking to get one. How? What do they need to do that you're looking for in order to make your decision on whether or not you go with them? That's an excellent question. I was actually hoping that we could get to that because um, one consistent issue that I find with people who submit a portfolio in both in both companies um, is that they don't have a lot of work that shows me that they can do that kind of work. So for instance, I'm looking for cyberpunk artists and they come on and they're like, I love cyberpunk. I've played it my whole life. And I, you know, here's, here's my portfolio link. And I go there and I see a lot of Dungeons and Dragons style and maybe a few cyberpunk pieces. That's difficult for me to tell whether or not you can do that work. So sometimes if their work is good, if their work is, I don't mean good, like, um, like it's better than other people's, but more like it's good in the style it would fit, uh, our, our, title, like if some of their work is like that, um, I will often go back and ask for more stuff, but most art directors will not. They'll go, they'll, you have what, 10 seconds where they go to your art station or whatever, and they, they skim, skim down really quick. And maybe they click on one or two that might appeal to them. You've got 10 seconds. That's it. You need to have the work you love and want to do. You need to have that in there and everything else needs to piss off. Um, just take it out. Don't, don't clutter up your, oh, but that piece was so good. And it was a really good picture of my grandmother, whatever. Get rid of it. Love you, grandma, but you got to go out of the portfolio. Go back on the wall where you belong because you only have that short period of time to get someone's eye to get more interested in you. I look at, if I look at like 25 portfolios a day, every single day, I'm probably going to get really fast at it. I'm not going to be exploring to figure out who you are. The other thing is don't put things in your portfolio that you don't love doing. If you don't like making logos, I don't want to see them because the first thing I'm going to do is contact you to make a logo. Like I'm going to think, oh, it's making logos. I say that because we just got done doing black chrome and there are like 70 unique logos in here. And I had to go on this huge forage for artists that could do logos. So that's on my mind. But um, if you only like doing character design, show me character design. Don't just show me a single picture of one character in a place. Show me a character turn. Holy cow. Yes, it's tabletop. But, you know, I have hired three character turn artists over the last couple of years. And one of them has gotten about 30 30 character turns out of me for different products because they are so good at it. Show me character turns. Show me a page of of like um, accessories that that character would have. Give me that story so that I understand that you understand. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you, you only want to put in your portfolio, essentially, what uh, you think that you want to present to the work you're currently looking for. So you want to curate it. Yeah, yeah. And if you have a portfolio like ArtStation and it's like, oh boy, you know, I, I, I'm kind of doing artwork for, 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 you know, fantasy as well as uh, sci-fi. You can put things in folders. You can find ways to present it so that it's easy for me to go there and go, oh, here's a sci-fi folder. Great. And I can just click on it. Right. That is to getting hired. And you, what do they say? Kill your darlings. I, I hate mm-hmm. phrases like that, but there's some good truth to that. Kill your, but I love this piece, but it doesn't apply to anything you want to do. Kill it. Mm-hmm. Get it, get it out of your portfolio. Yeah, that makes that makes sense, and that that sucks. Um, yeah, but it sucks. I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm also an artist. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> the um the thing that I I think then is, do you recommend that they have like an official 
and like uh, personal or uh, for their socials if they want? Or what do you recommend there? I think it's a good idea to keep some distance from your public persona. I mean, a for instance would be somebody who likes to play, uh, I don't know, you like to play really dark games, you know. Um, you're you're really into vampire v tests and the you know vampire the masquerade or whatever, but but you're doing work uh for your day job. You work specifically for maybe like like religious organizations, so Christian organizations. It's just kind of where you found your niche, right? They may not react well to seeing that you got all these posts about your role playing, you know, and 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 being a vampire and sucking people's blood. They may not react really well to that. That's a really yeah. extreme example, but it I right. think it gets the point across. Yeah, I um I think about that quite often because right now I work for myself and um yeah. I have the benefit of being able to basically just say whatever the hell I want uh all the time which is great uh for better yeah. or worse. Um but yeah. uh I love it. I love it. It's it's great but I understand that this is literally closing doors for me in the future because I know people are going to look back at some of the things that I've either said or done and that's perfectly okay. Um, and choose to yeah. just not work with me in the future. So um, understanding that I, you know, am embracing it in a way, but um, I know yeah. that if you're out there and you're looking for work, then maybe you just shut the doors for a while until you have um, done the things that you'd like to do and you have more opportunities, essentially. Well, I like I like the idea of having a personal and a public because if I'm having a really bad day mm -hmm. and I'm really depressed and I'm sad, and I, I just need to vent, I probably am not going to do that on my art director-related public social media about, you know, whatever thing is going on. Not just because it might hurt my job, but because it's a really personal thing. And there, I'm sorry, there's crazy people out there. You don't want to expose yourself to something that could potentially be unsafe. And as a, as a woman, I that is on my mind all the time, that I've had stalkers, I've had scary stalkers. I've had stalkers that have threatened to um, SA me and threatened to unalive me and all of the other things, right? And so um, I don't want to take those those chances. And I'm still trying to work out how to do that well for myself because, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of work. But if you can, if you can, I think it's safer to try to have something public and something private. Yeah, absolutely. It's Mike Pondsmith taught me a lot about that because of course he is so he is so known in our industry and um he's had some crazy stuff happen too. And so he's very, very careful about keeping those two things separate. Um yeah. That it it is definitely difficult. And I know from firsthand experience now I sometimes get, you know, harassed. Um, because I'm just yeah. I'm at the tipping point right now where I'm uh I'm not gonna say I'm famous, but um I don't know, people recognize me in the scene and uh there are a lot of people. There. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, of all the people for me to be surprised about who knew who I was, like the creator of Foundry, like when I messaged him, I was like, Hey, yeah, I wanted to contact you about like the vineyard and like porting over the module or whatever. And he was like, Oh yeah, Friday, I've been following you. And I was just like, you what? You know who I am? I use your, I use your platform like 15 times a week. <laughs> That's fantastic when that happens. I love that. It feels good. I'm not gonna lie. It feels yeah. good. Um, validating yeah. validating like yeah for sure for sure you're like oh that work i've been doing but yeah there is definitely that aspect where um now i'm starting to get people in my games now um that are like hey i've been following you for like six months and i have been just waiting to play a game with you and i'm just like okay we're not at the creepy stage yet but we could get there pretty quick <laughs> Keep your eye on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that isn't to say that anybody who has joined my game and said that to me, which is a lot of people, you're not being creepy yet. I would let you know. Um, I kick people ruthlessly if they creep me out. Uh, so oh, good. Good, yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, definitely a concern, and um, especially if you're gonna take one route, um, perhaps separate them uh, if you can. And that's advice that I don't take for myself because I'm not in the same position as an artist. Um, yeah. I'm creating my own thing, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. So <laughs> it's one of the it's one of those things where I don't work for anybody. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. 
I just work to not embarrass myself, more or less. But was there anything that you wanted to, uh, as a parting shot, Winter Jay, that you wanted uh, to bring out to any artists or any shoutouts or any projects that you're working on um, that you wanted to bring light to? Uh, this should get posted May, I think, May-ish, maybe, maybe June. Let's see. I am very... When I when I receive a you know a, an email from an artist asking about work and such, I almost never just say no, thank you. I try to give some direction, and I would hope that other people, I mean, time permitting, of course, but I try to give some direction on not their artwork because their artwork and their style is their artwork and their style. But if they wanted to produce the artwork that we would need in our books, I give them direction on how to do that in some way. And I often get people who come back a couple of years later and go, oh, my gosh, look what I've been doing that, you know, that was helpful. And that's where my validation comes in. Right. As if I don't remember doing that. But yes, you know, sometimes I don't remember the person because it's they're just an email in my inbox. Right. But it's really good to feel that. And I think if you're, no matter what kind of thing you are doing, if you are in a position to hire, giving some direction, gentle guidance um, can really change somebody's life. You don't even know how, how it will affect them or if they even take the advice or not, right? Which is up to them, right? That's no big deal if they don't. But if you can give them advice, um, just just blanket give everybody advice. Consider yourself a mentor at that point. If you're doing any hiring, you're now a mentor, period. And so I try to treat everybody like that. And I'm that's kind of what I hope to spread around as my as my word of, of the day. Yeah, definitely. It is um it is a very important uh and fraught with peril position to be in to uh yeah. to be a leader. And um it's very easy to make mistakes. Um, being transparent about your mistakes and owning up to them is also equally important as well as like, um, but yeah, uh, this has been a wonderful conversation winter Jay. I wish we had more time. Um, if you're cool with it and we've got something on the horizon, uh, for any of the, uh, developing studios that you're, or any of the studios that you're, uh, working with, I would love to have you back if that's cool. Uh, you don't have to say anything right now while I have you on air, but (laughs) just know that that's out there. Um, But yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Hi, thanks for listening. If you want to support me, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash isfriday, or you can find some of the work that I'm doing at vineyardrpg.com if you want to pre-order the book that we made.